What is up, everyone? Welcome to the Then and Now Sports Podcast, and I'm leading off the episode this time. This is a great change of pace, honestly. I'm. What are you I'm trying just to say? Like, like, I can just sit here all day and just talk. It, it would be are you great. trying to say something. Like, are, are you trying no, to say that no. I wasn't doing a good job leading it off? You you were doing a good job, but I feel like. It's a new podcast now when, wow. when I'm doing the Wow. Okay. No, I'll play it. I'll play it. I'll play it. You do a great job. But anyways. Oh, yeah. I, I bet. I bet. It's also a special episode because we're going to do a then episode. We haven't done a then episode in so long and I'm ready for it. We, we put a lot of preparation in and I hope you guys enjoy it as we go through this. Today we're doing the... 2009 to 2010 era Jets and this team is exciting for a lot of reasons that we're going to get into but let's start with the um the root cause if you will of why this team was so exciting and that is the Rex Ryan hire and James I just want to ask you what did you think about this guy as a young Jets fan when he first got hired I remember I think I was a fan. I actually, I remember where I was when he was doing his press conference. I think it was my birthday, actually, when he had his introductory press conference. And I was at a restaurant and I just see his, obviously I can't hear it, but I see him talking at the podium. And I just thought there was a really different energy he brought. And we're coming off the Eric Mangini years. And I think what's important, a little context to this, this is also coming off the 2008 season where the Jets had Brett Favre. And Brett Favre, at one point, led the Jets to an 8-3 and record. You're talking about road wins over the Tennessee Titans, who were at the top of the AFC at the time. The Patriots, we had a road win over them on a Thursday night game. So for that to happen, to lead to a collapse, it was a weird time in the Jets franchise because you had great players. I mean, the players are there. Darrell Revis is there. Calvin Pace is there. And you hope this new coaching hire can shape your identity. And I think that's been the theme of these two years. The identity of the Jets was apparent and it was kind of shoved down your throat. There was confidence. There was hard-hitting defense. There was a hard-hitting running game. And I, I think the best thing about this hire was that it cleared up the Jets' identity and it cleared it up real quick. Um. I agree with you, and there's a lot to be excited about here when it comes to Rex Ryan. I mean, Rex Ryan was already a well-respected name in the NFL. You know, he he just the year before in 2008, he he led the um the the Ravens defense where he was the defensive coordinator. He led them to the second best total defense in the NFL, and he he was there for years as a D-line coach, winning a ring with them in 2000. And it was time for him to make it, it was time for him to take the next step finally and become a head coach. And he chose the Jets to be that spot. And like you said, the Jets already had some good pieces there. Calvin Pace, Sean Ellis, just to name a few. This this team in 2008, I'll, I'll remind everyone, was was number eight in the league in total rushing defense. So it's always been a stout unit up front. But we're going to see how this defensive unit really develops over time. And how it becomes known during that time period as one of the best defenses in the NFL. But for now, 
can I just bring up some real quick? Another guy who he brings with him from the Ravens is a guy who is also very key to shaping this identity in Bart Scott. You bring in Bart Scott, who has a boatload of experience, been on a championship team, and you bring him over to your locker room and you give him, I think Rex trusted Bart as being the leader of this team and the leader of the defense. And I think Bart stepped up and was a tremendous locker room presence. And he was a great player. Uh, He provided, I think, the Jets got rid of him in 2012. So it was a great four-year run. And Bart Scott was a contributor all four of those years. He was a fantastic player that I think only gets to the Jets because of Rex Ryan and that connection he had with him in Baltimore. That's a good point. So... Enough of this big picture stuff. Let's let's start at the humble beginnings of of 2009. Rex Ryan is now the hex the head coach of the New York Jets. Mark Sanchez it's, is now the quarterback of the Jets. That's true because they bring him in. They drafted him. They traded something we forgot to discuss before this. He tr- the Jets traded up to get Mark Sanchez with the fifth pick in the 09 draft. Now you were going into that 09 season with Kellen Clemens as your starting quarterback after no Brett Favre and after whiffing in free agency. So the Jets really had to get a quarterback here and trading up to get Mark Sanchez. We later find out maybe wasn't the move, but hey, I mean, in the short term, you got a quarterback who was passable enough to lead to some early success. Yeah, so let's talk about that early success. A 3-0 and start. Mm-hmm. And with wins over Houston, New England, and Tennessee, who were the best team in the AFC in 2008. But let's talk about the um, the Patriots win because the Patriots win is very is very um, integral to shaping the identity of this team, like we talked about, and to kind of build this tension that's that's going to carry over the years. But let's let's stick with right now. Rex Ryan establishes. That establishes this right away by saying we aren't going to kiss their rings talking about the Patriots Brady Belichick and you can tell what what this identity is forming into it's forming into this this brand of we're not scared of anyone we will give anyone a good game and they do this they cap it off with this 16 to 9 win over the Patriots what what did you think about you know this this kind of like tone setter and how how this was building moving forward well i thought this was huge obviously because the we aren't going to kiss their rings comment now is almost a a bold ass statement because he says we're not going to kiss their rings and then he goes out and beats them on his first try so i think it sends a message to the patriots like yeah we're not just all talk we're gonna talk because believe me rex ryan talked throughout his entire tenure as Jets head coach and I think Jets fan loved him for that but he wasn't just all talk he was able to back it up and I think that's what was really important and you talk about holding this Patriots defense Patriots offense which is got Tom Brady at his prime still got Randy Moss there Wes Welker and you hold them to nine points that's that's a great start for this defense and another thing to that we shouldn't completely forget about this is also two years post spygate so the spygate thing happens in 07 and you know the jets still got bad feelings i know rex ryan wasn't a part of that jets team but 
you know, I'm sure he feels the resentment there because this team was stealing signals and the Jets had something to prove to the Patriots. And this, I think, starting with that Spygate thing, led to probably the peak of the Jets-Patriots rivalry. I think 07 to, you know, 2011 is a pretty crazy period for the Jets and Patriots going at it. I think they played a lot against... Obviously, they played a lot, but I'm saying they played in a lot of competitive games. And obviously, when you talk about recent Jets history, not a lot of those close competitive games with the Patriots. So it is kind of... It's cool to look back at a time period where the Jets were competing. You know, it, it was usually a split, which is not what we see now. We usually see Patriots clean sweep every year to nothing and back in this time period the Jets were fighting and that's what you love to see from this Jets team because they always had fight in them and to fight against the big bad Wolves and the Patriots you know sign me up I think everyone who was a Jets fan really felt this energy off Rex and it just the, the identity was really so crucial to not only the Jets team but the Jets fan base as well because I think they really felt it as well Okay, so going off that, that three-game stretch where, you know, th- this, you can see the foundation is being built. That's something, something a little more than normal for the Jets franchise it is coming to fruition. And then after that, something a little disheartening comes. They lose six of their next seven and with, with their only win being to the Raiders, by the way. Let's go. <laughs> A 38 to nothing win, but they give up 24 plus points, I believe, five times over this stretch. And this is a very interesting stat because, you know, they, this team, like we we're just saying, they, they're very in your face. They're, they have this very high energy to them, and that is translated on defense. And the defense is really what this what this team is known for. I mean... This team in 2008 was the the 16th best total defense in, in the league. And Rex Ryan, along with the development of Darrell Revis and other key players doing their part, they go up to the best total defense in the league. So even in their struggles, they find a way to be incredibly successful. And so, so do you think that all of these losses were on the defense at the time, or do you think a little more could have been done on both sides of the ball? So the defense definitely struggled during this time period, but I kind of believe that that was a result of the offense being so ineffective. And I mean, let's bring up one game in particular in the stretch. You talk about the Bills come into the Meadowlands, and this game goes to overtime. So we're talking about an overtime game, right? 13-13, the defense only ended up giving 16 points with the loss, but it's 13-13, but yet Mark Sanchez had five interceptions. So the fact that they were still tied in a game where their starter threw five interceptions and actually went to overtime, I think the defense in other games struggled, especially talk about the games where they gave up 24-plus points, yes. But I think this defense, and I know you know it as well, this defense was just cooking and they went through a rough patch which I think every defense goes through you talk about the Niners last year 
you know, we remember that game against the Saints where they gave up, what, 40-plus points? The Ravens beat them up. So I think every great defense will go through a stretch where, yeah, you, you can tag us a little bit, but the one thing we're going to do is we're going to punch you in the mouth every single time, and you better throw these punches back because, you know, we're not going to stop throwing them. That's well said, and you know what? That, that mentality, that, that image of what good defense looks like what it performs like it pulls through because they go on to win five of their last six and that that makes them a playoff team most notably they beat the Colts who were undefeated at the time now granted the Colts rested some of their starters but do you you think the Colts should have went for 16 and 0 in this game or do you think the Jets like do you think the Jets earned this victory (laughs) <laughs> not really to be honest I mean you talk about they had a 15 to 10 lead in the third quarter they had their starters in for through it throughout the beginning of the third quarter they go up yeah. 15 to 10 and then they just give up on the 16 and 0 season it was really crazy to see I remember that was a really contentious debate you know why wouldn't the Colts go for it why should they get that extra rest is it really going to do much for them well, in the end, they did go to the Super Bowl. So maybe the rest did help. And, you know, who knows? Maybe Peyton Manning stays in that game a little longer and the Jets defense gets to him and they sack him. Chris Jenkins gets to him, throws him down and injures his shoulder or something. So I guess in a way, sure, it's not the worst decision, especially when you get to the Super Bowl. But passing up a chance to go 16-0, and man, it, I don't know if it would sit well with any fan base. And I don't think the Jets really earned that. And I know it's it's crazy to say because they, they did have a great defense this year. But I just think that game, if Curtis Painter is the quarterback, I think it's pretty well known that you're going to run away with it with a top-end defense. And I think it's crazy because the Jets were not really a walk-in playoff team at this time, but they needed this game. So if they don't get this game, they, prob- they, they do miss out on the playoffs. So... Being able to be handed an opportunity at the playoffs definitely rubbed some of the borderline playoff teams the wrong way. But hey, you can only play who's on your schedule. You know what I mean? You can't you can't just decide, oh, well, Curtis Painter's in, so you know, let's just play to his level. No, we, we got to play our style. And hey, they don't want to play. They don't want to play. We got to get up into the playoffs. So let's, let's throw what we got at Curtis Painter and walk out of Indy with this win. And that's what they did. So, what are your thoughts on that? Because I I know you remember this pretty clearly. Because I think uh, I I know we were young. We weren't young, young. We were you know, thirteen I think at this time, twelve, thirteen. So yeah. I think we're we're watching sports stuff all the time. We're seeing all these sports writers just you know crucify the Colts for not going for this. So what did you think? Should they have won for sixteen and zero this year? Well, I think it's one of those things at the time when like you know the it it's. It's a very like sports story in the sense that it's very trivial. It doesn't really matter in the long run. But, you know, in that moment, it seems like it matters the most in the world. And, and that's basically what, what this story is. Like, it, it's fine if the Colts wanted to rest their players. Obvi- I mean, it worked out for them, like you said. And if they don't want to go for 16-0, and that's entirely their decision. They don't have to go for 16-0 and if they don't want to. 
Like, is it a bad I, decision though? Because I I think it can be looked at as a bad decision, especially honestly. When- if if we're not gonna go off on a tangent here, but you could, you could discuss the pressures of being a sixteen and O team in the playoffs. That's a good point. I, I wasn't really thinking about that because I mean the Patriots two years before this. 18 and 0 and they couldn't finish the job and uh, everyone knows they were the better team they were better than the Giants that year but they didn't show it in the, the game that counted so yeah you're, you're right the, the pressure definitely would have been a factor so so you're saying Peyton Manning wasn't about it is what I'm getting from no this. I think he is like I, I just don't think it's like this this huge deal like if a team decides that it doesn't want to go like for 16 and 0 I don't think it should be like the biggest deal in the world. Like that's that's a team decision. Got it. Peyton Manning scared of going sixteen and zero. Gotcha. We yeah, can move that's on what now. I said. Okay, so <laughs> another team that's not the Colts that you played late in the season were the Bengals, and the Jets absolutely destroyed them in Week 17, 37 to nothing. And guess what? They play the Bengals in the first round of the playoffs, and. It's crazy because this is when Sean Green really stepped into the spotlight. Thomas Jones was the centerpiece for this rushing attack, the number one rushing attack in the league, might I add, all season. And th- this guy rushed for 1,400 yards, the, literally the driving force of, of this offense. And come playoffs, you, you just see this, this young player, Sean Green, this young running back coming up, show out with a great performance. He... He went for 134 yards and a TD. And Thomas Jones also had a TD, but the 134 yards is what's shown through. And then other highlights from this game, Jets defense held Bengals to 281 yards and created two turnovers. Cedric Benson had a big game for the Bengals, 21 carries for 169 yards and a TD. Um, Carson Palmer, um, he, he went one for 11, had an in. And what what do you think, because stat-wise, like defensive-wise, offensive-wise, in rankings, the, the Bengals and, and the Jets were very similar teams. So what do you think gave the Jets the edge in these games? What really took them above and beyond to win these games? They won this game 24-14, to 14, by the way. Well, you talk about a two-game period where you outscore them 61-14. to 14. And I know the Bengals in week 17 weren't really in it. Carson Palmer, like you brought up, went one for 11 and they pulled them very quickly. So they weren't really in that week 17 game too much. The playoff game, obviously, they got up for another really, you know, this doesn't have too much to pertain with the Jets, but it's just kind of interesting. I don't think we've ever seen anything like that 2009 playoffs because not only did the Jets and Bengals have a rematch one week after week 17, but the Eagles and Cowboys also did that in the playoffs. They played week 17 and then they played each other wild card round. So I know it's random, but I just think it's pretty cool that I don't think we're ever going to see something like that again, unless you get divisional foes play each other in the first round. But it was pretty cool to see two games that were important in week 17 kick off wild card weekend uh, the following week. But in these games, I think the Jets, were, I, you know who I think was the difference in this, these two games? Darrell Revis. And you talk about the Bengals bring you Chad Johnson, Chad Ochocinco at this time. And Darrell Revis locked him down. And Darrell Revis was doing this all season long. If I could just go on a quick tangent about him. 
talk about six interceptions this year. I think this was the year where he broke out as the best corner in the game. And I'm going to just read you all these studs that he held that, held in check. Andre Johnson, who finished with four catches for 35 yards. Randy Moss in two games. There was one game where he had four catches for 24 yards. Another game, five catches for 34 yards and a touchdown. You talk about Steve Smith, one catch for five yards. Roddy White, two catches for 16 yards. Reggie Wayne, three catches for 33 this guy, Darrell Revis, was on another planet, and it was Revis Island. They had him in his corner. They said, you do your business, and we'll we'll put the zone to the other side. We'll work on some other pressure the opposite side, but hey, this is the island. If you're an elite receiver, you got to win on the island if you want your offense to have success, and the Bengals didn't do it in these two games, and Chad Johnson didn't play well, and I think that was a big momentum shifter in terms of the game, you talk about a lockdown corner you just can't get past and you can't get the ball into the hands of your best playmaker. I think that really affects the confidence of a team. And I think the Bengals were just shook going up against this defense. And if we're going to, if we're going to keep gushing about Darrell Revis, I, I also have some stats prepared. Let's go. Um, in, in 2009, he only gave up on, on 94 targets, 94 targets. The QBs foolishly threw at this man 94 times that season. He gave up 3.9 yards per play overall, which was the best in the league, obviously. So, yeah, th- this guy was on another level in 2009. And there was a very easy way for, for teams to, to combat this. And going into next season, they just didn't throw to him as much. But we'll talk about that later. Let's let's talk about the um the next playoff matchup, which was against the Chargers in two thousand nine. Now, just to go over some key moments, you know, you know, Jets struggled early, three and out on the first four drives, back to back interceptions in the third quarter, and you you just have the um the Chargers just just being up like early, and then you have this momentum shift when. Darrell Revis picks off Philip Rivers. And, you know, the Jets don't convert on this, but they get another turnover and these start to stack up. And this is why, this is what really fueled this Jets team in the playoffs. Like creating turnovers, making teams feel uncomfortable with what they're putting on the table. And eventually it all piles up, it all piles up. And you get to that legendary play of Sean Green with the 53 yard rushing touchdown. And this really cements his place as a key part of this running game. And like I said, this this is this is crazy because Thomas Jones is coming off his best year with the Jets. In your mind, did you think Green did enough in this game to be like the heir apparent for the next season? Or do you think like he still had stuff to prove? So it's weird because they get rid of Thomas Jones after this season. And I was not a fan of that move. I love Thomas Jones and he had, I think he had his best statistical season this year, his personal best, with 1,402 rushing yards, 14 touchdowns. And I know after this, he kind of plateaued. He didn't have the same success with Kansas City. But I was not a fan of getting rid of Thomas Jones. I feel like he had a little bit more to give this running game. I don't know what Sean Green, though, because they didn't really feel that he was their three-down back because they go out and get LT the next year. 
But I think he did show enough in this game to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to be a part of this running attack. Is it enough to say I'm going to be your lead back? I don't think so. I think he was good and I think he helped move the sticks and he was a physical runner. Downhill, come right at you. He was very good in staying physical and keeping linebackers honest. But in terms of just being that three down consistent back who you're going to get 100 yard games out of every week, he wasn't that guy. But he was clutch. He came up in this game. The page, We're going to talk about a Patriots game later. He comes up clutch. Sean Green had some very clutch moments in a Jets uniform in this time period. All right. So moving on from, from that, um, we're going to go to the, the big one, the, um, the big game versus the Colts in the AFC championship game. Even though you said you don't think the Colts, they, they earned their first win against Colts. They do have a regular season win versus the Colts. That's that's worth noting. And also what's worth noting is that the Jets went up 17 to 6 in this game. And granted it was very tough for them to 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 stop Peyton Manning for too long, but when your offense scores 0 points in the second half, that makes things a lot more difficult too. So where do you think the fault lies in this game? Do you think that, you know, you, you built up such a good lead, your defense has to do a great job to protect it, or do you think that the offense just needed to keep up with Peyton Manning? What do you think was the downfall of the Jets in this particular game? I think it was the fact that the offense had no prayer of keeping up with Peyton Manning. And you talk about this is Peyton Manning's fourth MVP season. Peyton was on a historic tear in this season. He carved up everybody week in and week out. Like we said, they almost went 16-0. Talk about having Reggie Wayne and Pierre Garçon, and Peyton was feeding them nonstop. I just think there was no way the Jets' offense was realistically going to keep up with Peyton at this time. I know next year we're going to talk about a different story, but at this time, Peyton was just on a different level. And yes, they had that great second quarter, where the Jets go up 17-6, to but Peyton was smart enough to stay away from Darrell Rivas. You talk about Reggie Wayne getting held in check, but he still has Pierre Garçon. Austin Colley finishes with seven catches for 123 yards. Pierre Garçon, 11 catches for 151. I actually think this is the game that led them to signing Antonio Cromartie because they see, man, we got Rivas and Rivas is great, but if we can get another guy to help lock down the other side of the field, that's what we should go for. But this, this just was a Peyton Manning-led offense that was too much to handle in 2009. And while the Jets went on an unbelievable run in this playoffs, a run that nobody expected them to do, the fact is they ran up against a superior team and their offense just could not could not string together any types of drives. Let me pull up their, their second half drives. It's pretty pathetic. You talk about a team that's supposed to beat Peyton Manning in the AFC Championship and the second half has a missed field goal, punt, 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 interception, end of game. That was the drives for the Jets in the second half. So they had no prayer of keeping up with Peyton. And the defense the defense put some good pressure on Peyton. Uh, they, didn't, they caused two fumbles. So I don't know if both of them are on Peyton. I can't remember off the top of my head, but talk about creating turnovers they did that uh, uh they also held the 
Colts in check on third down. The Colts only went four for 11 on third down. So the defense, I think, did show up in this AFC Championship game. But the offense was the problem here. And going up against Peyton Manning during this run, it just wasn't going to work out, especially with the team led by Mark Sanchez, who, you know, he played valiantly. You know, give him credit. He went into a tough territory and went up against a Hall of Fame quarterback, and he went for it. But they they could not they didn't have a chance with this team in my opinion yeah just to add a little more mark sanchez was the you know the key force of offense in this game and you know when you're depending on your rookie qb as the main source of offense a, a rookie qb who had his own struggles during the regular season when your rushing attack was was you know at the top of the league that's definitely a bad sign you know thomas jones only had 16 carries for 42 yards. Sean Green, who had been showing out so far in this postseason, didn't didn't play that much of a factor either. 10 carries for 41 yards. And Mark Sanchez didn't play bad. Like Mark Sanchez definitely had his moments during this year and the playoffs, but the Jets could just not get it done in 2009 to to get to the to the Super Bowl. But listen, going into 2010 now. You got to feel good. Like I said, your rookie QB just led you to the AFC championship. He's struggling, but rookie QB struggle. You know, there's still room for development. You had the best rushing attack in the league. Your defense is maintaining all of its pieces. And what do you do now? I'll tell you what you do. You you build on what, what you've built. Like, like Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And going into the 2010 offseason, that's exactly what the Jets decided to do. Now, granted, they did lose Alphanega and Thomas Jones, who was, like I said, the centerpiece of that that offense for, for 2009. But they also replaced Thomas Jones with a legend of the of the sport, LaDainian Tomlinson and an, another legend, Jason Taylor and Antonio Cromartie, who people were writing off at that point, but had a 10 interception season. Um, you know, pe- people wrote him off for, for like off the field issues and, and health concerns. And then you have a guy who, a receiver for your growing QB, your developing QB in San Antonio Holmes to go along with Braylon Edwards and San Antonio Holmes, you know, very, very well known for making great catches in the playoffs. So that could possibly be a great addition if you have faith in your team going into the playoffs. So yeah, just just what what do you think about these moves? Like, did, were you excited hearing any particular name, or did you think that it it would just like was there any one move that you thought would would really take this team to the next level? So it's weird you brought up Alan Fanica, and I know this is gonna sound crazy that a fourteen year old was so upset about losing Alan Fanica, but I was. Alan Fanica was, I, I don't know if he's in the Hall of Fame yet, but I think he, he's hes getting there someday. He was a great offensive lineman with the Steelers for so many years. Comes to the Jets, and he was a force on this offensive line that was uh, probably the strength of the offense. I know they had good playmakers and good running backs, but the offensive line is what pushed this team forward. Talk about DeBrickishaw Ferguson, Nick Mangold, Alan Fanica. The, this was a great group of guys. Damian Woody. I mean, we had great offensive linemen there, and it really sucked losing him. But you talk about these other moves. I mean, this is 
you pray for these kind of moves as a Jet fan. You get Santonio Holmes, who gets the game-winning catch against the Cardinals just two years ago in the Super Bowl. Antonio Cromartie to put alongside Revis. Like, are you kidding me? Maybe people weren't sold on Antonio Cromartie, sure, but you're talking about him coming and being the second corner? Uh, We'll take that any day. Jason Taylor brings a veteran presence. He was going for a Super Bowl. You know, his mind was, hey, it's crazy to see Jason Taylor, a longtime Dolphin division rival, saying, hey, I I want a Super Bowl, man. And he thought the Jets is where he was going to get it. And then, of course, the Damian Thompson. How can you be mad about bringing in LT? I know this is the end of his career, and he doesn't provide you with the LT from 2005-2006. But, man, to to have these guys on the Jets in 2010 was it had me pretty ecstatic going into the season because it gave me a sign that they're really serious about pushing for a Super Bowl. This isn't something that they want to get to and say, hey, you know, we made it once, you know, or we made it to the AFC Championship once, you know, we're fine now. No, this team had a goal and they worked towards that goal in both coaching and player personnel moves and in terms of the fans, they they were all ready for it. So I loved all of these moves. I'm glad you brought up the offensive line because they definitely um, get overshadowed by the defensive prowess that we we know these Jets teams for. I mean, they in both um in both 20, 2009 and 2010, they they had a sacks allowed per game of 1.6, which was 7th best in the NFL in in 2009 and 4th best in the NFL in 2010. And that just shows you the consistency of this line as well. Like you said, the Brickishaw Ferguson Nick Mangold and Alan Vanica, all pro bowlers in 2009, all known for their consistent play and always being able to show up on game day. And that just can't be understated um, when discussing these teams. And another thing, like LT, like LT is a great name just by himself, but the dynamic he brought to this team was also interesting because... Um, LT's presence really allowed them to open up the passing game with running backs. And I believe that really helped Mark Sanchez a lot going into 2010. But speaking of 2010, let's talk about the first few weeks of this season and what, what the Jets had to go through and what they should expect moving forward. So, you know, first game of the season, Jets lose to Baltimore 10 to nine, but they come back next game and they beat New England again. This is the second year in the row they beat New England in week two. What did these early what did these early wins in the season really mean to this team? Do you think they impacted the team in 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 a, in a like in a momentous way? You know, like do you think they really like impacted the momentum? these teams had going into the season. Do you think they would have been worse off teams if they did not pick up these games? The momentum was very important to get. And we talked about it before, you know, we're only, we're still pretty fresh off Spygate. So this Jets team doesn't like this Patriots team. So you absolutely, when you bring up momentum, that's probably the Kickstarter of all these seasons of both of these seasons, these wins over the Patriots early in the season. And it was very important to get these wins. This is, you know, I remember, I think this is the game Randy Moss gets that touchdown over Darrell Revis. 
if I'm not mistaken. But that's this is also Darrell Rivas coming off a lockout in the summer camp prior to this. He didn't show up to Jets camp until literally the week of week one when they were playing Baltimore. He didn't show up until that Monday before they played. So they were dealing with Rivas being out for a while and then come into week two and play this Tom Brady-led offense. And you got Randy Moss there, Wes Welker's there, and Tom Brady at this time is still at the prime of his career. He wins the MVP this season. So he is at a, a sick level of quarterback play and the Jets are able to take them down two years in a row. So I think it was very important for them. I think they needed these wins to... And I think it's also very important that these were home wins too. I, I think that really can't be understated either because when you get your crowd into this, I think that does so much for you. I think Rex always kind of stressed the importance of getting the Jets crowd, have them be faithful, have them be loud and aggressive and have them believe in this team. And during this time period, I think Jet fans believed with all of their heart in this team and believe that this team would get them to the Super Bowl. That's that's very touching, honestly. I, I'm glad that a young James believed in his team to such a high extent. No need to be a dick about it. <laughs> nah, it's okay. It's all right. Um, so moving on, let's let's go on to the the five game winning streak. So so like you're saying, this momentum is is definitely important because, you know, this is a, you know, the, like like you get a win against the Patriots and now you 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 just feel like you could beat anyone because that that is the best like like I feel like a, a definitely a part of these Jets teams are like you know is our best the is our best ready to beat the best and I I think that's kind of the relationship they always have with the Patriots and once once they beat the Patriots I feel like they they just knew they they could do no wrong now now these next five games there there's nothing notable. Except one game, um, one game against the the Minnesota Vikings and the Minnesota Vikings this year, um, as you may know, had Brett Favre who played for the Jets in two thousand eight. Did did you have any like hard feelings towards Favre for the way he left, or did did you see this as some kind of revenge game? I guess uh, it's weird. I never did. I, I loved Brett Favre when he was with the Jets. I loved him before he came to the Jets, and once he was there, I was ecstatic to get him on the Jets. But it was weird. I It always felt like his heart was never there. And that doesn't mean he wasn't trying. I'm not trying to insinuate at all that Brett didn't put everything he had into the Jets. But it always felt like he, this just wasn't the spot for him. And I think he always wanted to be with the Vikings. Like once he left the Packers, I think his next destination, if he wasn't with the Packers, I think he wanted to be with the Vikings. So I, I was never too upset about it. It was definitely a little annoying to like, cause he, he retired. This was the retirement saga and he retires from the Jets only to come back with the Vikings cause the Jets released him. And it definitely felt a little good, and I think it also felt good because Randy Moss actually got cut from the Patriots or got traded from the Patriots to the Vikings in between this time period from when they played in Week Two. So he's on the Vikings for this game. So he's back in MetLife, and I felt like it was more satisfying to get the win over Randy Moss than it was to get it over Brett Favre. That's interesting. And now 
when 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 you move on from this five game winning streak, it, it comes to a halt at the Packers. Now the Packers, spoiler alert, won the Super Bowl this year, 2010. And you the 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 Jets lost a nine-nothing affair to this team, a grueling loss. I, I can only imagine having to watch a nine-nothing game in, in any circumstance whether your team is in it or not. So what what did you think about the Packers this year? Did you think did you think the Jets could compete with them and if if you guys went to the Super Bowl, how how would you feel? Well, hand up. I did not watch this game. I actually had my own football game. This was during my Pop Warner days when I was a legendary center in uh Pelham Bay. I'm I'm sure you know, and I'm sure everyone listening knows but I actually didn't watch this game I remember getting home for the end of it just seeing nine nothing and I was just so disgusted because how because I mean you see the defense is held down Aaron Rodgers and you got to feel great about that but we scored nothing against the Packers it's weird because this game shows that you know the Packers defense was about it and they could contain Sanchez very easily and they turned the ball. The Jets turned the ball over a couple times, but I, when we get down to the line, right? I think you you ask, can they compete? I think a hypothetical we can get into is, hey, let's say the Jets beat the Steelers in that AFC Championship, and they see the Packers in the Super Bowl. Would they beat the Packers in the Super Bowl? And I'm trying. I'm trying so hard to give you the take of, of course we would. You know, look at that defense. Look at Revis. You just went on a, a streak where you beat. Uh, Brady, Manning, and Roethlisberger all on the road. Of course, we'll beat the Packers and Rodgers. But I don't know. Aaron Rodgers this year, uh, this was an unbelievable run for Aaron Rodgers. I just remember that divisional game against the Falcons on the road, and he torched them up, man. It, it was a really bad sight for the Falcons. And I think Rodgers was just on a mission this year. I, I think he would have been a lot more uncomfortable in that game and that's I don't want to take anything away from the Steelers defense because they had a great defensive unit as well this wasn't just the Jets with the only good defense in the league the Steelers also had a very good defense but I think Rex Ryan would have been able to scheme ways to just make Aaron Rodgers as uncomfortable as possible in this game but I think in the end if I'm speaking realistically I think the Packers would have still taken down the Jets yeah, another thing, just for the same old Jets factor, you know, you get to the Super Bowl, but same old Jets can't can't finish it off. Wow, that see, I feel like young James would be very upset that you you are so pessimistic about this team, honestly. But well, young James would be disgusted to see the the <laughs> eight nine years following this season. So. That's true. That's true. Very true. <laughs> um. So anyway, um. Yeah, I was going to add on to this and say that the Packers, I I feel like if you feel that way about Peyton Manning, like, listen, our offense is not keeping up with Peyton Manning. It's not going to happen. I feel like it's a very similar situation with Aaron Rodgers during this year. Like you said, a man was on a mission and that's how he went on to beat the Steelers. Like you said, also a very stout defense. And might I add, they were also ranked higher in total defense than the Jets that year. They were second and Jets were three. But yeah, they they ended up just outscoring the Steelers and and that's how they they won the Super Bowl. So I think it definitely would have been a very tough task for the Jets if 
if they were to meet hypothetically. But enough about the Packers and 9-0 games. Let's go on another game, a four-game winning streak with the Jets. And listen, they, they won some tough games during this stretch. They, they won OT games over the Browns and Lions. They, they beat the Texans on a last-second um, touchdown to San Antonio Holmes. And then this is, this is one of the games I remember the most about this Jets era. I don't remember because it was so heavily like publicized, a lot of media coverage about it um, in New York media. And that is the 45-3 loss to the Patriots. And this is where a lot of, um, you know, the doubt about the Jets came from going into the playoffs and a lot of the criticisms of the Jets moving forward would come as a result of this loss. So, James, I'm going to ask you how how much of an impact do you think this this loss made on you? Is it one of the worst losses that the Patriots have handed out? Can you think of a worse one? It's kind of a funny question because there are so many losses I could point to. I was actually in the stadium for the butt fumble game. So seeing that live, it, it still scars me to this day. So I would definitely have that as the worst. This is up there. And I think we've, I think the Sam Darnold seeing ghost game last year was also pretty brutal. That's probably up there. Worse than this the, one? Damn. It's, I don't know if it's worse than this one. It's close just because I feel like that was more of an embarrassing game. This was, you know, the Jets were still a good team. You know, they still had the playoffs to look forward to after this. Last year, they had nothing really to look forward to. So it, it's it's up for debate, but it, this loss definitely didn't feel good. And I love the, the reaction of this loss, though, because Rex Ryan, in true Rex fashion, buries the football from this game. It, I have the article up now, and <laughs> this is a quote from Darrell Rivas. Uh, they were headed to a, fu- or he said, we were headed to a funeral, a funeral for a football. And Rex Ryan said, we're burying this game, and all that happened Monday. And Rivas actually, you know, he was pretty, you know, surprised, and he, I think he took it seriously. He said, I've never seen a coach do that. We all got the point. Usually in the past, you hear a coach say, let's bury this, and you have to visualize it. When you actually see it, you're like, wow, this is serious. So this was a pretty good ploy by Ryan to wake his team up, say, hey, this loss happened, and it's embarrassing, but we're going to bury this ball, and we're going to move on, and we're going to go play Jets football. And listen, brutal loss, 45-3, to nothing good about this game. But you move on, and you hope that the the stink of this game can stay on you and can leave an impact on you in the sense of, I don't want to feel like this again. I don't want to have to feel what a 45-3 loss feels like again. So in that way, I think it, it, was, uh, it actually helped the Jets in a way. Okay, so moving on from, from that, that loss, you're... You're coming off this this very, very bad loss, but you got to move forward, like you said, and Rex Ryan is doing anything he can to, to, to move past it. So he he goes out along with his team against the Steelers in week 15, a really good Steelers team. I don't know if you knew that. They, they were pretty good that year. They were um, okay. Anyway, 
<laughs> they, the, the Jets beat them. The Jets beat the Steelers on the road. Like we said before, all the accolades that the Steelers have this season, they have Big Ben, they have a number two ranked defense. This was one of the periods where the Steelers had a really, a real true iron curtain defense. And you go out and you beat them 22 to 17. That's an impressive win. And it puts you in position for a good playoff spot. So when you're beating good teams like this, even when coming off such horrifying losses, what what is your confidence like against teams like the Steelers or or any team that's coming in your way when you know you can beat them on the road? I think this game felt very good because the offense, from what I remember, didn't play particularly well, but they didn't play. They played good enough. It was mistake-free football from what I remember. I don't know if you have do you have the game up, but I don't think we turned the ball over in that game. Yeah, you I did. I think it, it was a pretty clean game for the most part. And Sanchez, I from the biggest thing I remember from that game is the bootleg touchdown. Sanchez, we're at the goal line, and it's just a pretty simple, you know, fake fake handoff, bootleg out, and take it in at the goal line. Sanchez does that, and I, the Jets go on and win that game. I think it was a very impressive game because they showed that. Once again, our offense really doesn't have to be this high-powered Patriots offense. You know, Tom Brady, Wes Welker, Randy Moss. We don't. The Jets didn't need that. They had their style. They had their identity, which is what we always get back to: their identity. We're gonna rush the football. We're gonna play physical football, and we're gonna have a coach who is has no apologies for how he coaches. No apologies for how his team plays. And that's just the style that they have to deal with. It's, you know, it's, I, I want to connect this to basketball a little bit. So the other night, of course, that, that crazy Clippers loss to the Nuggets. And after the game, I think Rachel Nichols asked Jamal Murray, you know, how are you going to deal with the Lakers now? Because the Nuggets have to go up against the Lakers team. That's a lot better. How are you going to deal with that Lakers team? And Jamal Murray said, well, they have to deal with us, too. And I, I kind of feel like that was the mentality of the Jets at this time of, hey, maybe are we the best team assembled? You know, maybe not. But, you know, they're going to have to deal with us. So it's not on us to be the overwhelming favorite every year and have the high powered offense. Maybe we're not all that, but the other teams are going to have to deal with us. I think that's a really interesting perspective. And like you said, nobody really played like when I look at the stat line for the Jets, nobody played particularly like outstanding except Braylon Edwards. Braylon Edwards had a hell of a game, eight receptions for 100 yards. And but besides that, uh, Mark Sanchez, 19 for 29, 170 passing yards. He had the bootleg touchdown, like you just said. LaDainian Tomlinson. Sean Green combining for 89 yards. Both had around 40 to 50 yards each. It it was more of like the the plays outside of what normally got you touchdowns, what normally got you points that really carry this team to 22 points, which is a decent amount of points to to be putting up in in an NFL football game. So it's an impressive feat. But will it continue and will it prove successful when we get into the playoffs? Because that is the big question. Now, that said, let's get into the 2010 playoffs. 
first game of the 2010 playoffs. This is like poetry. Versus the Colts. You lose to the Colts in the previous year. But this year, something's a little different. You know, the Colts are not as dominant. You're a better football team in general. A more balanced football team. The Jets are. And there there just seems to be a different energy. Something is different about this game. Now, the performance don't, performances don't say that that much. But some something just happens that stifles Peyton Manning. He only throws for 225 yards and a touchdown in this game. Definitely not typical of him during this time period. You know, the, the Jets are able to establish a better rushing attack than last year for, for some reason. You know, Sean Green had 70 rushing yards. The Danian Tomlinson had 82 rushing yards in this game. And things are just clicking on a different level. Mark Sanchez isn't playing particularly well, but that isn't your team's identity. So I'm going to ask you, what changed from 2009 to 2010 in particular that gave this team the edge over the Colts that they didn't have last year? I think it's a couple things. Uh, I don't want to take away credit from the Jets. But I, I don't think this pay, uh, this Colts team was the same as the year before. I think they just didn't have the same spunk that they came into 2009 with. And they couldn't get into their offense. I think the Jets' defense really, I think they learned their lesson from the previous game. And I think what's also important is the Jets' defense got to see that team two times in 2009. So they really had a lot of film on them. So they knew what things to, they could do to... I mean, to make Peyton Manning as uncomfortable as he could be. And I, I know even for Peyton Manning, that's still better than a lot of quarterbacks. But I think the Jets did a great job of holding him in check. And I think you brought up the rushing attack. I think that was a pretty big difference from the year before. I think the Jets were really able to get into their rushing attack in this game and control the pace. And that's important. And just keeping your identity. I got to stat up. They, they won time of possession here. 33 minutes and it's not overwhelming. 3307 to 26.53. But that is important when you're playing against Peyton Manning. And let me, I'm looking at some other stats. Third down conversions, both teams were pretty good on third down. I just think the main difference was the fact that the Colts weren't the same team and that the Jets were able to do a lot more in the rushing attack. Um, yeah, those, those all sound like good points to me and and like like i said it just seems very surface level like the the colts didn't really have that much changes year to year but it just seemed like they had a different energy about them and you could say the same for the jets the jets just had a different energy about them they were able to to play their game to to their um to their strengths unlike a year ago because you know like we said before thomas jones and Sean Green didn't really have a good game in that AFC Championship game. This year, we have two rushers for 80-plus yards. That's that's very solid. And even though um, Mark Sanchez didn't play as well as in the previous year against the Colts, that, that wasn't needed. That might be a strength rather than a weakness. But but moving on, let's, let's go to this next game. And 
this is what really caps off the the Patriots rivalry. Um, you know, building up over these past two seasons, you know, everything from from we're not gonna kiss their rings, everything to these back and forth games where you either get blown out or you you put up a gritty performance and take a win against uh an all time great dynasty in, in in Bill Belichick and Brady, and they come into this game, a lot of people are doubting them. A lot of people are saying the Patriots are better. You know, you can't beat this team. They already showed you in that 45 to three loss or, or win in their case that you are not as good. Okay. That, that early win doesn't mean anything. And they come out and they win a great game against the Patriots 28 to 21. And it's a statement game so much so that, that Bart Scott is, is coming out post game. He's calling out Tom Jackson, but he makes sure that Keyshawn knows that they had their back, you know, like he had their back and, you know, it's just, it just becomes an iconic moment in the sports history. And now you have another storyline going on too. Mark Sanchez was one of only six rookies to make rookie QBs to, to make a conference championship game. And now you can say he has road playoff wins over Carson Palmer, Philip Rivers, Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady. Does he have a lot to contribute to this? Or was he just a product? Not even a product, I should say. Was he a beneficiary of the situation he was surrounded by? I love Mark Sanchez. I I think he did a lot more than he gets credit for. And I think he definitely showed up. There were times in this Patriots game, he showed up. There were a lot of performances. Uh, We brought up that Texans game before. He was crucial to the Jets winning that game. Countless other games I could point to. Like, hey, Mark Sanchez really contributed to this win. But overall, you're talking about the overall success of the team. This was a team led by its defense and its running game and its head coach. And I don't even mean that to be... I don't think that should... You know, denigrate Mark Sanchez. Uh, he just wasn't the type of quarterback that was the the stack gobbler, the the guy who's going to win you games by throwing forty yard bombs, fifty yard bombs to win out games. He wasn't a shootout guy. That wasn't Mark Sanchez. But Mark Sanchez was good for what the Jets had, for what the Jets were looking for. The turnovers were a problem. I think if he turned the ball over less, he would have had a longer stay in New York. But he was good enough for them to get to the AFC Championship two years in a row, and maybe he wasn't on the level of any of the guys that he beat in terms of if you're going to rank the quarterbacks in 2010. No, he's not Ben Roethlisberger. No, he's not Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. He's not any of those guys, but he's a good enough quarterback to where you have the right pieces around him. He's going to play good enough football. He'll he'll show up. He's not going to just sleepwalk and be a game manager because actually he threw a lot of interceptions so I don't think game managers really did a lot of that but I think he was able to make plays when needed and I look at Mark Sanchez as a valuable contributor to this team maybe not the most or maybe not among the top five most valuable contributors but a valuable contributor nonetheless yeah when you look at Mark Sanchez's like career with the Jets I think 
I think the best way to state it is he had good moments, but those good good moments are not the whole picture by any means. You know, two two years with an under fifty five com- completion percentage, like in today's NFL, that's that's actually laughable. Like I, I'm not even trying to be funny. Um, and uh, along with that, you know, he, like I said before, they did a great job because in in 2010 they they gave him more options. I would say, like especially mm-hmm. with the running backs, as I mentioned before, um. You you had forty nine targets to running backs in two thousand nine to one hundred and fourteen targets to running backs in in two thousand ten and that's just like a big opener and, and you can see a big offense opener and you can see um in, in this offense how it helped improve his game but unfortunately for the Jets I think Mark Sanchez did have a peak that he reached and. He was he was never able to to go beyond what he was in these two years. And I would also add, you know, 2000, the 2011 to 2012 season in that realm as well. Mm-hmm. But moving on from that. The AFC championship game again, part two. And, you know, maybe this is the year for the Jets. But it wasn't. It wasn't it wasn't the year for the Jets. Now the the Jets come out, they come out very slow. You know, in the first half, they are outscored 24 to 3. That's that's not very good. But in the second half, they they make somewhat of a comeback, even though it's not a full comeback. They they score seven points in the third, nine points in the fourth. They go they they lose the game 19 to 24. They had a chance to get a stop on the last possession for um for the Steelers and and get another shot at it, but they they couldn't. Now, is this the most heartbreaking loss for the Jets? In your opinion? I think for me it was just because this really felt like this was the year and it felt like you avenged your loss against the Colts in 2009. You take down the Patriots once again. And now you're playing the Steelers team who you already beat earlier in the season. And you know you can compete with them. And to just... And I think the worst part is the fact that their identity never left. The fight in them never left. They outscored the Steelers 16 to nothing in the second half. So they never lost their fight and I think that's what makes it so heartbreaking the fact that they they didn't just get blown out I would have rather to blown out in this game you know what I mean like just know that uh, we were down 24 to 3 I would rather them have scored a touchdown start off the third quarter and I know the game's over but the fact that the Jets hung in there and they played great football in the second half it definitely stings more stings a lot more but at the end of the day, looking back at these teams, I, I'm, I'm very proud of, the, of these teams. I'm very proud of Rex Ryan and all the contributions he brought to the New York Jets. I think this was, I mean, for me, obviously, because I haven't had much before or after this, this was the happiest time period to be a Jet fan. And it was exciting. There was a lot of trash talk. There was a lot of Jets being in front pages. And it was just a really fun time. And 
to pretty much know. I, I think I, I think we left 2010 with hey, all right, 2011, we're ready for 2011. But I think there was a a point where Jet fans were just distraught over this game and. Of course, there's the same old Jets thing like I brought up. So there's always that in the back of old Jet fans' heads, the ones who have lived through the 80s and 90s, the rich Kotites and all that. So I think losing two years in the AFC Championship, the culmination of it all definitely stings. As For me, it's definitely the most heartbreaking Jets loss I've had to do. I mean, with. yeah. I I think it's not, it's not really fair to ask a... A Jets fan, born at the time that you were, to 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 say if this is the most heartbreaking Jets loss because well to be honest if I could bring up one other one that was kind of more recent that stings a lot kind of like this was the 2015 game week 17 uh, against the yeah, Bills I that game they, yeah that's a game <laughs> I definitely remember. Fitzpatrick just blowing up down the stretch and this is a team that was ready to make the, that was another year because you have the week before where you beat the Patriots in overtime, the Eric Decker walk-off touchdown, and you're like, all we have to do is beat the Bills, and do you know who had they, who was on the Bills leading them as their head coach that year? Oh. Rex Ryan. So, you knew you were yeah, going to get through. Yeah, I know. I just wanted to ask. Yeah, um, but... So, that was, that's also a heartbreaking loss that almost competes, but the fact that this was the AFC Championship, this is just a different level. Yeah. So, listen, if my team actually got to make it to the AFC Championship in my, in, in the time that I can remember, um, I would be upset if they lost to, especially, bro, you, you know how I would feel if the, if the Raiders mm-hmm. lost in an AFC Championship game, oh my God, it would be, it would be horrible. But, um, anyways, let's talk about the bright side or is it a bright side? I don't know if it is. What is the legacy of these two teams in particular? It's a pretty tough question, just sitting on it a little bit. Uh, the legacy is the fact that they were true to their identity for these two years. And I think even throughout Rex's entire time period, I think they were always true to that identity. I think they were a hard-nosed, smash mouth football team. They played hard. They played physical. I think that's something important. They were not afraid to run into contact they weren't finesse guys it was all physical on this team so the legacy of them is the team that just missed out they were good enough I think they were a Super Bowl quality team but because they I think about all the other Super Bowl quality teams that kind of don't get their day in the sun anymore Let's talk about recently. I mean, I know they blew the lead, so I guess they're going to be talked about for that. But how great were the 2016 Falcons? That offense, were, I think that offense was unbelievable. You go back what? to uh, the 07 Patriots, another great team that, I mean, they're, I, those are probably two bad examples because they're going to be talked about a lot. Uh, how about the 2015 Panthers? Great team led by Cam Newton, 15-1. Just didn't come up. And the Super Bowl. So I think there's a lot of those teams that don't get their day in the sun, but they are still great teams that are worth mentioning and talking about when you're talking about the history of football. And I think the Jets definitely deserve to be talked about and mentioned as a a team that was a force to be reckoned with during these two years and a team that 
here's the legacy of the Jets. They were a team that nobody wanted to play. You could beat the Jets. They weren't an unbeatable team. They weren't a team that you had no chance of beating. You could beat them, but you didn't want to play them. You didn't want to run into the buzzsaw that was the New York Jets at this time. Um, I agree with you on, on some levels. Like, I, actually, I think you would rather, like, I don't know, like, what you would rather prefer. Like, the, I, I feel like those Falcons, that Falcons team you mentioned and the, the Patriots 18 and one team you mentioned are more well known for, for infamous mm-hmm. reasons. Yeah. That, that, those are bad examples. I was maybe even thinking about a team like the 98 Vikings, the 15 and one team they had, and they, you know, they don't make it to the Super Bowl, but they're still a great team that we can go back and look to and be like, Hey man, they didn't win a Super Bowl, but boy, was that a really good team to watch. See, that's that's why I don't think like, uh, no, they definitely do have a place in NFL history and definitely New York sports history in particular. If I if I were to um, single out where their legacy is most felt, um, I, I think their legacy will will live forever through New York sports fans, if anyone. But in the greater picture of like the NFL, uh, I, I don't think they have that much of a legacy and that's not a shot that's just like they were just another really good team that beat other really good teams but couldn't get it done in the end and there's a lot of those in in nfl history and like you said definitely doesn't mean they're not worth discussing definitely doesn't mean that there there aren't things to to give this team credit for at all or 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 good memories associated with this team no but like like the 98 vikings like people don't talk about the 98 vikings they they talk about the greatest show on turf when you talk about that era of football and Mm -hmm. that's that's because they won in the end and that's just how i feel about it that i'm sorry if that comes off unnecessarily negative but no, like, no, I, I completely understand that, too, from your perspective, because this isn't a team that we, we should talk about in the light of the teams that ended up winning in the end, because it takes a lot to win a Super Bowl. So those teams should be highly regarded and they should stay in those regards. And I just think on the, on that other on the other spectrum, we should take a look at these great teams that just missed out and say, hey, wh- what really was the difference here? Or were they that good of a team? And I think in the Jets' case, they were that good of a team. And they just had a couple of flaws that bit them in the end and, you know, caused them to not be a Super Bowl team. But I, I think in the end, they, like I said, they were just a team you didn't want to play. Yeah, no, I, I agree. These were, these were great teams. Like, there's no way around that. And like you said, it was very good. For New York sports, they they made headlines. I remember, even if I don't remember everything, when it, when it comes to these teams, I do remember newspaper headlines on the Daily News, and and the New York Post, like like about these teams and the hype surrounding these teams and and the tension that was going on with the Patriots at this time. How, how there was really there was actual hot blood in this rivalry. For the first time in a very long time. And, and those are things I'm always going to remember too. So their legacy lives on. But I, I don't think it's it's as broad as, as some other things. But anyway. Let's, let's end this off on a little bit of a cliffhanger. 
since since we um since we covered 2009 and 2010, you know, the the glory days. We have to talk a little bit about the downfall as well. Now, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't we don't have to. I mean, we can just skip over that. We you know, oh, we're, so we're you, just wrap it up, you know? You know what I mean? Um no, I think I think I'm just going to go ahead and ask you about like you you don't have you, listen, if it if it brings out traumatic memories, <laughs> I understand. But let's just let, let's let's focus on the positive. How did you feel coming off losing this AFC championship? Listen, this team is still contending. Mark Sanchez, second year to third year could get even better. What did you think leading into 2011 about this team? The same thing you go into 2010, really. Uh, it's just another chance at a Super Bowl. Uh, I think the way Rex was talking and the way this defense had been playing, I think uh, I was feeling like this was going to be the year they get at least back to the playoffs, and hopefully this could be the year that they get the Super Bowl. But as we learned, 2011 is a pretty rough ending, and I think that's where we should end tonight because we're not going to just finish off here. We definitely want to get to the 2011-2012 section of the Jets because, listen, we're going to talk about the great times. we got to talk about the bad times too. So we're just going to set this aside for our next then podcast. We'll get back to it in maybe a couple weeks to a month, but definitely be on the lookout for our next Jets podcast because – I think with football being back and we didn't even talk about any of the craziness in the NBA, I think it's time to get back to the now of sports, but definitely be on a lookout for the then part because we are going to eventually return to the Jets and we'll talk about the 2011 and 2012 Jets. Um, yeah, uh, I understand you need to mentally prepare to talk about the Jets collapse. Uh, I shut understand. Up. Shut up. And... You know, you, you just need you need time. I get it. But yeah, I I'm glad we got to do a then podcast finally again. They just take so much time to prepare for and you know, uh, other things like it's it's very much easier to talk about what's going on like every week and there's uh, there's so much to talk about when you're covering all sports. So it, it's a little rough, but but we'll definitely get to that. Sooner rather than later, I would say. Anything else you have to say, James? Uh, I'm good on this end. Uh, I'm gonna get ready for football this weekend. It's gonna be a good weekend. Maybe are we gonna do it? Well, if my if my wisdom teeth feel good, we can do a podcast on that next week, hopefully. Um. But yeah, I I'm ready to wrap up. You're ready to wrap up. So. I'll see you guys. Peace.